Hello and welcome to Deuces Are Mild, where we review number twos for you. We'll be unpacking arguably unnecessary sequels so you don't have to. I am your host, Allie, and with me is my co-host, Rob. Rob, how's it going? It's going. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. So, uh, anything going on today? Uh, yeah, this week, uh, after a couple weeks of vacation, back at work, just trying to get my brain wrapped around what that's like. <laughs> uh, I forget how to do my job sometimes uh, throughout the day, so it's uh, it's it's fun. <laughs> Yeah, um, we're recording this on January 5th, so we don't know when this will come out, so, but I understand that, totally. What about you, anything? Uh, also sort of holiday-related, I put Christmas away. Oh, no. (laughs) I mean, it's, it's okay. It, it, it just, it looks so drab in here now. Like, it, the fireplace looks so bland without stockings there's no brightly lit christmas tree so now it's dark in the living room at night and it's just so depressing and then we have the cold fingers of winter closing around our throats soon so i'm i'm looking forward to seasonal depression well i mean you you've had lights and decorations up of some kind since what august when halloween rolled out (laughs) Um, so you've been used to some sparkly lights, some fun, colorful decorations since then. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I, I think once we've hit that official six-month period of where things have to come down, fortunately, there's nothing exciting in January to celebrate, is there? <laughs> Today. Something to celebrate? No, this is nothing to celebrate. This is something that needs to go into, like, the shame column. So today, our subject is Blues Brothers 2000. I'm sad about this one <laughs> because I love Blues Brothers just so much, and I know you do too. It's one of my favorite movies. Yeah, it is, is uh, you find me on Letterbox? I let you pick top four. That is in there. Yeah, for a reason. <laughs> um, well, do you want to give us a brief rundown of Blues Brothers the original for us? Yes. Yeah. I mean, no, happy to. It, it's you know, it's one of the the best movies I think for me that's ever been made and the fact that it, it came out of Saturday Night Live uh, to some extent is perhaps shocking um, but I think it kind of it's interesting to watch the sequel thinking about the original and how that all came about um, you know as those of you who've seen it remember you know the you know Jake and Elwood they're on a mission from God because they need to get some money for this orphanage to keep it from closing they decide they're gonna get their band back together um, they've all gone away and got different jobs. Um, they come across all sorts of interesting characters along the way, including Illinois Nazis <laughs> and Bob's Country Bunker and all those wonderful oh, country God. and Western folk. And, <laughs> you know, in there, they're driving around the immediate Illinois Midwest area. Um, you know, they eventually get to the gig that will get them this money and, you know, they have their performance, and they've got cops led by John Candy and, and some Illinois State Police following them the whole time. And it's funny, because I'm describing this now, and it's like, there's not much plot to that. And that's, it sounds like that's a bad thing, but, you know, John Landis did the original, This the, uh, you know, it's a musical comedy. And it didn't need much plot, because the music was so good. Mm-hmm. And the characters interacted so well with each other. And, and considering the majority of the cast were musicians first and actors second, if not third or fourth or fifth, <laughs> um, the fact that they pulled this movie through along with, with, with Dan Aykroyd and John Belushi is, is just impressive. Um, you know, even, even sort of celebrity um, musicians like Ray Charles and, and such who are, who are in the original, you know, even their kind of individual moments, scenes that they had, drove the movie so well because of the music that they performed, because of the song. And, you know, when you get to the end of, of the original movie, they're they're all still together, but they're now in jail for all the car, felonious car assaults, I guess you could say, that they performed, <laughs> breaking into um, you know, licensing offices in, in downtown Chicago. Um, and, and it's... Uh, it's such a great movie, and there's so many memorable scenes and so many memorable songs, and all the characters you love. So when we look so, at yeah. this new movie, 
you and you're trying to figure out what are they going to do in this sequel that you know is made 18 years later you know what can we expect from that yeah yeah i uh i i think this is a good time to go into what our predictions oh yeah but here's it's a little bit different this time because uh unfortunately unfortunately for us we saw this before (laughs) so we we knew what we were getting into this time so what we did instead of predictions we did what we thought originally would have been in the second movie blues brothers 2000 do you want to just share what we like thought would have been yeah and and i mean i'll tell you that you know when this first came out and even you know and we came out and i avoided it in 1998 and have avoided it for many, many years. Mm-hmm. Since the first time I actually watched this was only a couple of years ago. I, you know, I remember the poster coming out. That was the biggest thing. Mm-hmm. And the poster has on it. You see, you see uh, Elwood Blues. You see Dan Aykroyd's character. But then you see three people who you do not recognize wearing the same outfit. You see Joe Morton, um, who many um, uh, remember from like Terminator Two. You see John Goodman, of course, from Roseanne and Brother Where Art Thou and all sorts of great roles, uh, you know, uh, Righteous Gemstones more recently. And then there's a kid who, um, as I understand, was on Wizards of Waverly Place is is sort of his big claim to fame, if you want to call it that. But I saw that and my first thought was like, okay, I mean, obviously John Belushi's not here. You know, he died in 83, three years after the original was made. But if I just see these four guys on, well, maybe the whole band isn't going to be in it. Because I'm like, maybe this is the band now. It is is they're all dressed this way, right. um, you know, and, and 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 kind of related to that, you know, I I remember, you know, it's you can't replace John Belushi, and seeing John Goodman in there, the the, the other thing, another thing I was expecting was John Goodman is gonna sort of be pry barred in to the role. He's not gonna be Jake Blues. I mean. I was kind of disappointed because it seems it seems like a natural fit. Mm-hmm. It does, it does, and I mean, and and even I think before they made this movie through maybe like Planet Hollywood promotions, you had um, John Goodman was joining Dan Aykroyd on some you know fun Blues Brothers performances. Um, so it was Jim Belushi, John Belushi's brother, um, as Z uh, Blues, I think was is his stage persona with that there, mm-hmm. but. Um, so I, I was readily expecting, at the, especially some of the great dancing we got from John Belushi in the original, I was expecting to see something like that from John Goodman in this new one. Mm. Um, and, and pertaining to those first two, you know, as we find out very quickly once we got into the movie, it is not just the four of them. The whole band is back. Right. And, and I think that's great. And, and John Goodman does a lot of dancing. Yeah. Um, and, and the main, and the third, the third thing I was expecting is that, they would find some way because it was something repeated through throughout the first movie. Was it being a mission from God? Yeah. And yeah. I was I was expecting there to be some sort of element from that, and and we'll get more into that about you know I wouldn't necessarily say it's a mission from God, but there's definitely a certain line repeated over and over in the movie. Yeah, we'll get to that. Yeah, but uh, what about you? What were you uh, expecting from it? So originally, before watching it years ago, and we had an excuse to watch it. Because uh, we're big fans of uh, the podcast, How Did This Get Made? Watched it just so that we could listen to the podcast and be, like, aware. And, man, that was a mistake. So, my predictions originally was that they were going to have to raise money for something. And I thought it would probably be related to the... the, um, the sister, uh, the penguin. <laughs> yes, Kathleen um, Freeman. Yeah. Yes, Kathleen Freeman. So I thought it was going to be related to like having to raise money again, mm-hmm. um, because that is such a a great um, like catalyst for a plot. Absolutely. So I mean, it's in every movie, it's in every TV show. Like you know, oh, we got to get the funds together, and then there's a montage about car washes or whatever. So another one was the old band members. So. That was one thing that I was like, you know, it's probably going to be the old band again. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was. So happy about that. Um, and then 
the last one that I thought of was that there would be a big, huge concert at the end. Mm-hmm. Um, as big as the one in the original. It was not. <laughs> so, If anything, I would say the biggest concert was... You know, well, I guess based on time wise, it's about halfway through the movie at the county fair, of course. Yeah, yeah. And that was Even that, was an that wasn't scene. that big in comparison to. I mean, in terms of number of attendees, definitely yeah. not. But it was, it was. I, we'll get into well when we get into that part. There, we'll dig into it deeper. But it definitely felt like they're trying to get for the same tone as that, though, mm-hmm. um, for for reasons that you'll you'll figure out. Should we just jump in here? Jump yeah, in. jump jump in eighteen years later. Oh God! And and this and here's the thing. And you know, and I maybe almost throw this in as a fourth prediction. And this fourth prediction um, involves you, Allie. Is All that right. you might be surprised at how much more lenient I am on this movie oh, no. after a, a additional viewing. Oh no! There something something softened. In me and watching this, who this time. are you? I don't know you I, anymore. I, I hate. I, I don't know what it is. Um, <laughs> I, I something softened, and and I think maybe it was because of how the movie opened. And even though I'd seen that opening multiple times, there was something about it that just hit me differently. And I think it made me f- nicer to this movie throughout the rest of it. So the opening scene. Elwood is getting out of jail again mm-hmm. from when they were locked up the first time. It's 18 years later, as it tells us on the screen. He's, you know, it's a similar scene to how the original opened, where he's walked out and scored it out, no words, no talking, marched down, he's standing by the side of the road, and he's clearly waiting for his ride, right. just as he provided in the original. And there's nobody there. This starts out super dark. Yeah. Like, it starts out real dark. I, even before that, though, there is a dedication right at the beginning. Uh, yeah. Which, like, immediately put me in the, oh, kind of category. And then, yeah, then poor Elwood's waiting there, like, for, like, 24 hours he's waiting there. And it's just so depressing. And then you see him talk to the ward. The warden tells him. Frank Oz. Yeah. yeah. Who's now been promoted from his role in the first movie. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, like, he's just like, um, Okay. And then somebody rolls up and gets him. So like, who, who, who turns out to be Willie Two Big Halls, the drummer's um, friend, daughter, not daughter, S- stripper coworker. Uh, just where do we want to go with that? She works at Willie's. Yeah. Um. Which which became worth noting because when this movie started, you know, saying it was PG thirteen. One of the quote-unquote warnings in the warning box was exotic dancing. Yeah. And then my concern that that was going to apply to John Goodman. And maybe to an extent it did, <laughs> um, as we find later in the movie. But, 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 I, th- and, but I think this is, this is interesting because, you know, we've noted how the, f- the first thing that starts out is a person gets out of jail and they're picked up mm-hmm. by, so- by somebody related to their past. Yeah. And I think that is a pattern that this movie did not deviate from from the first is they're like you know what we're going to kind of give you the same movie we're going to give you this the same kind of storyline through what was the next thing you learn about the car now in the first one elwood already has the car in this one his first thing is to go get a car he goes to the junkyard to find out about it finds he can't afford the car that sort of thing like that and then that brings him to per your prediction going to meet kathleen freeman the nun who's now mother superior that scene isn't as funny as I wanted it to be, especially no. because, you know, our, you know, Joliet Jake is not there. But, I mean, Kathleen Freeman was so great. Sure, her mood was fantastic, and I love that her ruler was upgraded to, like, a baton, basically. Yeah. Um, but uh, I felt like this scene where he goes to the Penguin to talk to her about stuff and whatever. Um, I feel like might have been the first pitch meeting put into the script because it was like, well, let's see. Jake is gone. Curtis is gone. Like he's listing all the things that were great in the first movie. Yeah. And then 
it's almost like you're like, okay, then why does this exist? Like, just give up. Like, it you was, should have given up. It was an anti-pitch. It was. For the movie. It was. It was, <laughs> why are we making this? Let's discuss. Yeah. <laughs> so, it was ridiculous. And then, that kid just gets dumped on him. Buster. It's a kid from the orphanage that they're still running. Yeah. Well, no, they, the orphanage is closed. That's the other or it's, thing. Oh, so it's one of the that's kids that, 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 that they're gone. helping out. That's right. It's one of the kids they're helping out in the neighborhood, the homeless kid. Yeah. <laughs> so then he also finds out that Curtis had a kid out of wedlock with an affair with a married woman. His name is uh, Cable Chamberlain. That's a boss name. It is. But it's interesting because since he's Curtis's son and Curtis was played by Cab Calloway, the fact that Curtis's son in the movie is called Cab Chamberlain. And that's why it's a boss name. Yeah. <laughs> so it was a nice little homage. I did like that. I was like, ah, yes, because, you know, Cab Calloway has a special place in my heart. So... I mean, Elwood's asked to watch this kid? Yeah. Which is just odd. Well, yeah, I mean, I think she was trying to, like, get him to do, like, something other than... A band thing. Force him to do something positive. Yeah. Like she tried in the first movie yeah. and failed at. Yeah. Exactly. And it's and in this meeting with the penguin, pretty much everything is like set up immediately. It's like you have a long lost brother from Curtis's hookup back in the day. Mm-hmm. And then here's a kid for mm-hmm. you. And No, we don't have money to give you. Yeah, we don't have a car any, that you want. We don't have any cash. And here's all the information you need to know in order to get in touch with cable. So <laughs> it's like immediately everything is set up. Like the cards are stacked. And you know? that's and that's where the great line of we're on a mission from God gets replaced with the most saccharine second rate replacement that's repeated throughout this movie is that the Lord works in mysterious ways. Seriously, every time I heard that, I was like, I I just want to puke. I was like, okay. It was like an excuse for a deus ex machina in every scene. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, there were so deus ex machina in this. And, like, I love ridiculousness. I love cartoon-like violence. But this went past all of that. And it didn't really match the tone. Yeah. It, it, like, especially to the extent that they were trying to duplicate the original, it didn't really match the tone. Yeah. But, I mean, to your point, you know, it set everything in motion, and so his next step was, of course, to go visit Cab. Or, sorry, Commander Cable Chamberlain. Yeah. His step-adopted brother, who is now in the Illinois State Police. Yeah. That was the other thing. It was also felt really rushed, because yeah. it would have been great if they teased out a little longer that he was a cop, number one. Mm-hmm. Number two, they're in Cab's office, and... Elwood basically spills the beans that, yeah, you're technically a bastard. And, (laughs) like, your dad isn't your dad. And I know he died 14 years ago. And, again, this is getting dark. Not not, not Targaryen bastard dark, but pretty dark. No, yeah, no. (laughs) What happens is that he, Cab, like, denies, denies, denies. But then calls up his mother. (laughs) Yes. And talks to her for, like, two minutes. To confirm that, yes, her husband was not his father, and yes, uh, Curtis was his father. And it's like a two-minute phone call, and it's just not even a two-minute phone call. And he's like, uh, okay. And then closing is like, fine, you were right. And it's like, wow, we're not even, okay. It, you know, like, it, what's the point in all of it, that? It was interesting, and even though I did love how Joe Morton, ha- like, handled that phone call, and I realized, like, oh, I like Joe Morton in this movie. Mm-hmm. Um I, I wrote the same thing down. I said that, that this scene and lots of other scenes felt very rushed. And I think that is where the SNL element I was mentioning kind of comes in. Is a lot of the scenes had the same elements, but it felt like a, it felt like a parody of the original. Mm-hmm. And, and, and it felt like instead of it being a movie, it was an SNL skit. You know, it was just like, okay, remember that really great scene? We're going to do it the same way, except we're going to do the S- the SNL version, which means it needs to be three minutes. Lauren, Lauren Michaels is going to be angrily clapping for it to wrap up in, in three minutes. Mm-hmm. And and what we're going to need is we can't see exactly what happened in the movie. Paraphrase everything. So it's not a mission from God. It's the Lord works in mysterious ways. We got so many rewordings of lines from the original movie. Yeah. And this, this scene really put a lot of that together. Yeah. Um, but, but of course, Cab gets angry, you know, about what's been brought to him and, and 
kicks Elwood out of the station outside, and and the kid runs into him and takes his wallet. Mm-hmm. I love that. That that was funny. Um, I, and and you know what? I had low expectations for the kid. Honestly, he was my favorite part of the movie. He was super talented. He could dance. He can, you know, he sing. went a hundred ten percent. He did. And you know why? Because he's a kid. Kids don't need cocaine. Adults do, though. That's why the first movie worked. <laughs> That's what was missing. Exactly. Well, when we examine the I budget was... <laughs> for this movie, we'll see if there was room for cocaine in it. I actually wrote down, needs more cocaine. Yeah. No, I'll give you that. I'll, I'll give you that. Said what they did is they went back to the junkyard to uh, get the cop car that yeah. they were looking at. And bought it from, you know... Uh, BB King and Taj Mahal work in the work in the the, uh, the junkyard playing fictional characters who yeah. decided. Well, I'm glad you came to buy this car today because we're gonna pursue other careers down south, and yeah. this comes back later to yeah, us. Yeah, no kidding. But he's got his car now. Yeah, no, and his cop car. It's a fully loaded police vehicle, which cop I appreciate. <laughs> which I appreciate. So then they 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 have a run in with some Russian gangsters. At the strip club. Um, at the strip club. the club. Yeah. Yes. I, yeah. Um, so they run into some Russian gangsters and they tie them up in an alley and have like a note attached to them uh, from the Mast Avenger. It's a convoluted yeah. thing. And so we have some Russian mobsters coming after them throughout the movie. Because the premise of the first Blues Brothers is not just that they're on a mission from God, but they're on a mission to evade everyone chasing them. Yeah. With lots of car chases and lots of, like, uh, cute, like, getting out of trouble sort of things. So I was like, so they have Russians after them. That's the first group that is like, oh, I'm gonna get those Blues Brothers. Mm-hmm. And I, at first I was like, are they supposed to be replacing the Nazis? Because that's very 80s of them. I, that's what I was thinking. I was like, they're going to get into like some anti-communist stuff here. <laughs> and and because these were very stereotypical Russian oh, characters. Oh, super. Yeah. 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 It was so weird too because when you go to like their clubhouse or whatever and they're interrogating the two guys that got beat up by Elwood and Mac, like <laughs> they... It looks like a church almost, and there's, like, yeah. candles, and it looks like some sort of an occult, like, ritual, and they're, like, there on their knees, like, talking, and it's just so weird. It, it looked like Freemasonry to me. It did, it did. <laughs> and, of course, that was the catalyst for them to get out of the strip club, because the Russians come and burn the place down, which, you know, sorry, Willie. They grab um, Mac, Mighty Mac, as John Goodman's yes. character is called, who's the bartender at the strip club. They escape with him after he has a performance. Yeah, Do let's talk that? about that for a second. Yes. Um, is, it, is it cheaper to keep her? Oh, That's what this song asks us. God, I seriously... Okay, well, if we're talking first performances, first, can we go back and talk about Elwood's first performance at the strip club? Oh, oh, that's the, yeah, that's the cheaper to keep that's her. That's the cheaper that's keeper. Her. Oh, yeah, Elwood's... That's, uh... As a parody of himself, Dan Aykroyd just cheeses all over the mic mm-hmm. um and in a way that is almost downright uncomfortable <laughs> it has something left to be desired and it's almost like um a sloth had traded brains with him <laughs> because he was just like slow and plodding and just like you know kind of like lounge lizardy and i was like what the hell is this i i was watching this and my brain was 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 picturing jeb bush and just thinking low energy like i just i it, it felt like they they you know they they were recognizing how important music was to the original and trying to pull through these musical performances in this new one, mm-hmm. but they were just so low energy yeah. and, and that may be lack of cocaine. But I mean, I would say throughout the movie, I'd say most, most, maybe half of the musics the, of the, of the musical choices that were made throughout the movie were not great ones. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I don't know if, if that's just because they used all the good ones up. We know that's not the case. But it left a lot to be desired. But, you know, we, so we got that performance. We got John Goodman's as Mighty Mac. And I could see him trying to do an impression of Jake Blues. Yeah, especially some of the, the footwork he was doing. The stances and everything. He danced. Yeah. That was some exotic dancing, though. It, <laughs> it was 
very exotic. Very he weird. was wearing dad jeans, though. Um, yeah. And, and this was, uh, and this I would say is perhaps one of the most, the new things in this one was dad jeans. Um, he had just his big baggy dad jeans, like he was ready for some like cool weather yard work. It looked like he came off the Roseanne set and then oh, onto the stripper stage. And someone handed him like a casino dealer's vest and, <laughs> and then said, will you please go grind for us? And he did. But I liked that song a little better. Was it like looking for a fox? Yeah. Yeah, I'm sorry. I liked that song. That was a bit catchy. Okay, so that was like the only good Blues Brothers song that happened during the whole film. Oh, I don't know about that either. Oh, no. We might, this this might be where we diverge. I like looking for a fox because it, it, it sounded more like in line with like what the Blues Brothers did in the first one, which is, you know, like the Sam and Dave stuff, a little bit more rock and roll mm -hmm. and rhythm and blues than just like straight blues. So they recognizing that that was kind of like the all singing, all dancing kind of show. This, yeah. this definitely felt more in line with that, but, but yeah. And, and, and this is, but you know, after we got these performances, the script strip club is attacked by the Russians and burned down and all sorts of good stuff like that. Part of what's been decided is Elwood wants to get the band back together again. Yeah. And and this is where we start seeing the band members. And this is where it was fun, but also unusual. Because the first movie felt like they really were getting their band back together. And this felt more like, even though it was, you know, all the same actors, it just, it didn't feel like they were all into it anymore. It was like, yeah. they, they got what they needed to get paid to do this movie and they got it and they did what was asked of them and they moved along and I, I some of them were a bit more into it um you know willie too big hall had a bit of a bigger role as the owner of the strip clubs mm -hmm. so we got to see him a bit more matt Goddard murphy and blue lou marini we saw the first ones that he goes to get at the uh, mercedes car dealership yep. where they're working and my girl aretha was there that was <sighs> seriously aretha was one of my favorite parts of this movie she can do no wrong. She was amazing. And, uh, and oh my God, I loved her, her outfit. It was so bright and colorful and it was just like, and it was good to see her <laughs> so like rich looking and she's running a Mercedes dealership. She yeah. doesn't have, she doesn't, she's not in a stained apron in a cafe. And I was like, hell yeah, you go ahead, girl. Like, yeah, but this is where the low energy thing came in. I felt like. Even Aretha needed a little bit of cocaine in this scene. Uh -uh. Everybody felt a little slower. And I know 18 years will do a lot to you, but I I wanted more energy in the scene. And a lot of sort of the forced dancing that they had, you know, like Blue Lou and and uh, and, and, and Elwood and, and the kid do around the choreography, you know, choreography around, you know, Matt and Aretha's interaction. It, it was it was hard, but Goodman gave 110%. The kid gave 110%. The kid had some moves. The kid was scene. awesome. Yeah, no, definitely. It just, it went so long. Yeah. It went so long. Yeah. I like the song Respect. I kind of don't, I don't care under what circumstances it's performed or played, but I will say that it, we didn't need the whole song in this movie. <laughs> uh, we could have gotten a verse and a chorus. No. And, 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 and it would have, it would have covered everything that we really needed there. But, no, no, um, no. No. That's, that's not what happens. And, uh, but yeah, so they got McIntyre Murphy. What is it? They, they found a couple of them as radio DJs. Um, oh, yeah, Dunn and Cropper. Dunn and Cropper. Oh, and, um, and, and Tom Bones Malone was their, uh, producer. They, they found, was it Mr. Fabulous was a funeral director? Yeah, okay. Oh, this so, is a weird yeah, intersection here. So, okay, so there's a similarity between this movie and the first movie. In the first movie, one of my absolute favorite scenes in the movie is when they go into the restaurant that Mr. Fabulous is the maitre d' for, and they sit down at a table, oh, and they are being so obnoxious. I mean, oh my god. And <laughs> Belushi with, I want to buy your women. <laughs> how much for the little girl? Your women. How much for the women? I want to buy them. I love that. And so they're like, they're being purposely awful so that... Mr. Fabulous will just quit and join them. Yeah. They kind of try to do it. They rushed through the main elements of the first movie scene. They they say briefly, "Oh, are you gonna wash? Are you gonna 
what was it steel from oh, the coffin yeah go- what time you want us back tonight to get all the jewelry off of the corpses yeah yeah and 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 again instead of take of like recognizing part of what made that scene work was how they stretched out and made it cringy and 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 everything in the first one the second one was like okay but we got to do it in 30 seconds yeah and that- it turned and the, the fact that the funeral turned out to be of the nephew of the russian gangster mob yeah. who was following them Un- unnecessary. Unnecessary interaction totally right unnecessary. there. Yeah. What's funny is, is that we've talked about how they've rushed through things. Yeah. But this movie felt so long. Well, it felt so long. We we paused at one point. And, yeah. And 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 I remember thinking, I was like, well, I don't remember this movie enough to know how close we are to the end. Mm-hmm. But we paused it. And I remember seeing that there was 45 minutes left. And we yeah. haven't even gotten to the point where it's 45 minutes left. But we, when we paused it, it said 45 minutes left. Now, this movie is two hours and three minutes long. And when it said 45 minutes left, <laughs> I did almost cry a little. And I really wanted to just be like, you know, we can do the other half of this another night. Because it's not like it's going to go any faster if we wait on it. God, But yeah. we have sort of jumped past. And I do want to talk about what might be one of my favorite music scenes in the in the movie and that is when they go to get murph from murph and the magic tones their keyboardist yeah. slash tambourine player who doesn't appear to have bones in the body and looks like those guys outside of car dealerships their arms are whipping around when he's yeah playing. um they go get murph and he's working at uh, i forget the name of it but it's basically it's basically a, f- a phone sex call center yeah um run by eddie floyd and wilson pickett yeah and it's like Ed's Ed's uh, call center or something like that. And Johnny Lang is hanging around. Johnny Lang reason. is a janitor. And so they have a great music scene. I, I love it. Uh, I think it's called Call On Me. And they have like the yeah. great chorus where, where all the phone six operators who I love, they're dressed in like these bright moo-moos and they're not wearing makeup <laughs> and their hair's up in curlers. And they're like talk about, yeah, the numbers, you know, six, three, four, five, seven, eight, nine, all that business, yeah. stuff like that. Um, it was such a great song. And... It was one of those where, like, you know they made it for the movie, but, and I, I, I forgot to check this in the credits, but I would not be shocked if, if like, Wilson Pickett wrote that song, because it sounded like one of his songs. It, it was is so, one of his songs. Uh, it was so good. I, it, I just, I, I I'm loved it. I'm pretty sure that's, like, is from it? way back in the day. I think that's, like, so part just the, of his... So just the phone sex number was interspersed into it, then, you're saying? No, it, it was part of the, the chorus, was, was the phone number, okay, yeah. Okay. Um, but in this, they turned it into a 900 number. Which 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 works. Um, it, it was Wait, really you gr- tried you tried the 900 number and it works? Is that what you're saying? You actually have to do 1888, but it does work. <laughs> uh, but it's just John Goodman. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, yeah, no, so you... you and the Ed's Love Exchange scene, that's what it was called, Ed's Love Exchange, was, was so good. I loved how positively they portray the phone sex uh, uh operators um I, th- I thought it was really great of like how much fun they were having and how you could see that you know uh they're just they're having such a good time with it in the, in the song and and when johnny lang who's like the janitor who you see opening scene he comes in and starts singing he was playing guitar a bit too i don't have a problem with johnny lang as a guitar is fine but when he was singing mm-hmm. it sounded and looked like which is impressive that he could do it two different ways I, he was waiting for him to sneeze. <laughs> it looked like he was doing everything it contained, and like I have to sing this part, but I just yeah. I don't know what it was. No, um, yeah, he sounded congested. But actually, when I saw Johnny Ling and he started singing, you know what I thought of? Mm. I thought of um, Ghost World when they're in that bar, and then <laughs> Blues Hammer comes up. And oh <laughs> well, it's. <laughs> I absolutely they're picking cotton blues and I'll tell you what oh my god I I thought about blues hammer more than once during this movie Um, not just because of Johnny Lang but what we learn after that scene is they talk to Marty Sline their booking agent from the first movie like hey you know we get a gig we Mm -hmm. need a gig and uh, they get they get him like a gig or two heading down south but they're like ultimately we want you he's trying to get him set up at a gig in New Orleans for a battle of the bands that they find out that's being done there and and that's where it gets interesting because like you know we'll, we'll we will talk about the battle of the bands in a little bit but you know it ended up being only two bands and, yeah and I was like really you all could have you had time for blues hammer <laughs> well and here's the other thing is that the other band could have been several other bands <laughs> because it was several other bands <laughs> yeah exactly but but yeah so we we 
this is sort of where we got the rest of the movie mapped out for us. We hear like, okay, where well, they're going to have a gig going in this direction. Um, there's going to be a county fair that they're going to play. Mm -hmm. And then there's going to be this battle of the bands. And these are the gigs that they're doing. But at this point, it's almost there isn't necessarily as much of an important why are they doing this mm -hmm. because it isn't to get money for an orphanage. It, it, it's, it's, it's almost like they're just doing the gigs for the sake of it. Yeah. And I feel like that lack of an end game made it seem less interesting to, to want to follow them. No, that's for sure. You know, but they start making their way down. You know, we see that the Russians are chasing them. You know, they're, they're hanging out at a motel where blues traveler is. Okay, I have kind of a problem with this because that was so mean. Like, the dude from Blues Traveler <laughs> comes up to Elwood and is like, oh my gosh, I am such a huge fan. Like, it would really mean a lot if you came and listened to our rehearsal. We're right over there. And he's like, yeah, sure, I'll be there in a minute. And then leaves. And he bails. I was like, that is not cool, man. Like It was kind of unusual because in the first movie... There were lots of instances, like remember when they find, like they interact with some of the kids, yeah, and the kids are like a huge fan of them when they're like when they're going around, like we have a gig coming up when they're driving around, you know, yeah. Illinois trying to get the gig. They're very nice to everybody, so it was kind of out of character for for Elwood. Yeah, it, 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 everything seemed out of character for Elwood, but and, but this is where it gets interesting because you know we know the Russians are chasing them, mm -hmm. we know the Illinois State Police are chasing them. Cab Chamberlain is out because he. Because he realizes they stole money out of his wallet. And, and the kid is kidnapped. And that the kid is kidnapped. So we not only have those two, but the nuns then start an active pursuit, yeah. I would also say. Yeah. So so there so this is building on you know the second movie. There's it's not just Nazis, it's it's these people are all mm -hmm. chasing them. They kind of make their way down south. I, I did love that on their way south they stopped off at Bob's country kitchen. Yeah, I for like a meal. that. Bob I was like, still there. Yeah. You know, the same guy who played Bob and and and, and that was about the only thing that really sort of harkened back to it. The sign was there, and it clearly had been taken down to no longer a bunker. Although, I had a problem with that scene in which they're trying to get away, and what they come up with That's... is the shaving cream thing, where he covers himself in shaving cream and says that it's a bacterial a infection. A puffball bacteria. Yeah. That's what I wrote. Which and is... <laughs> I'm like, I... what? Like, he has this giant head of, of shaving cream. cream, and I'm like... Why? And it just like it's like not funny because like I think a lot of the problems in this movie have to do with the fact that these are more than grown men acting like naive young lanky boys, you know. We were trying to probably recreate a lot of what maybe was ad-libbed on set during the original. Yeah, but you know what? You need cocaine. Yeah, yeah they I, I were probably like barring a lot of like they're trying to rehash a lot of the stuff yeah. from the first movie. Which I understand to an, to a point because, you know, I'm a Star Wars fan and I'm mm -hmm. one of those Star Wars fans that loves a bone. Loves a real good juicy yeah. bone. Yeah, for the fanboys, yeah. Yeah, and, I, and I'm sorry for the ones that are like, oh, fan service, whatever. It's like, okay, I'm sorry, but it's entertaining and that's why we love the first one or, you know, the well, franchise. And in a movie like this, where it's so far after, a lot of the, what made the first movie so great isn't there based on their recap at the beginning of the movie. Yeah. Fan service is necessary in something like this. And yeah. I feel like they tried it, but I think they missed out on what made this, what they did in the first movie so good. But yes, I mean, they get away, they, they're crossing the state line. There's what, 30, 40, 50 cop cars, you know, state police, FBI waiting for them to cross over this one bridge. Oh my God. And this is where kind of, you know, you love a movie that sets certain rules and then based on the rules that they set, they follow it through the whole movie. And that was one of the fun things about the first movie. This movie had rules, but it would just break them or add new ones yep. based on the whims. And this is where I think some of the weird magic, for a better use of a ter better term, magic in the movie appears where yeah. they escape by driving the car into a a river. It ain't, it ain't a creek. Mm -hmm. It's a river. <laughs> And they drive along the bottom of the creek. And there's a scene that they're underwater. And oh, yeah. I forget the ridiculous line. But it was, oh. Oh, oh, this is this is one of those knowing quotes. And this this is, I I think where, like like I said, my fourth prediction is that we are diverging on, on the ultimate opinion of this movie. Mm -hmm. But I really wanted to hate this movie so bad with this line where Mac was kind of asking, how, how long are we going to stay down here? And Elwood's like, well, how long can you hold your breath? Yeah. And they're like looking out of the closed windows, like fish swimming by. And it just, it felt very, it, it went beyond the corny fun and just went into like 
like we couldn't figure out how to write them out of this scene so here's what our solution is well it 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 felt like first like lazy writing but also it they were trying to capture that absurdist humor that really made it wonderful in the first movie like when carrie fisher blows up the building and they survive and they just come out of the bricks. But, That's absurdist. Yeah. It is absurdist yeah. humor. No, no, you're and right. It's... Sometimes they nailed it in this movie. Like when when Elwood is hiding in the ashtray of the car. Oh, I hated that. At the I county love fair. that. I don't know. It's whimsical and absurdist. And that's what I loved about it. But um, there were certain things that were funny in that way. Yeah. Um, but I mean, yeah. So I mean, once this is over, though, they resurfaced. And when they resurfaced, oh, there, was, there was a boat on top of their car, and yeah. w- and we come across another extremist group. Yeah, if you want to call nuns and Russians extremist groups, <laughs> another extremist group, where Daryl Hammond, at kind of his his SNL peak years, is doing as Ro- I think it was Robertson was his name. Is I would say it's a Confederate militia. It definitely looked like a hodgepodge. They had like. Looked like they had a bake sale or something with a table camouflage that said white power on it. Yeah. There were Confederate flags around. Um, he mentioned Jewish conspiracies a couple times. Yeah. You know, so there's some lots of guns. Lo- lots of guns. Everybody's wearing their green camo, and they talk. And I think they had bombs on the boat. They were talking about so. Yeah. And it was one of those weird scenes where they surface and the Blues Brothers are escaping. They hit a ramp and then the boat's thrown for some reason 300 feet up into the air and it lands right on top of Terrell Hammond and blows up. I will say the only genuine ha-ha laughter I had throughout this entire movie Mm -hmm. was Daryl Hammond. Like that was the only time I was just like, I laughed literally out loud. Yeah, it, it wasn't bad. He's great with his accents, but it was funny because when this happened, even though, you know, I'd seen this before, I was like, oh, was that it? Like, I was a little angry. I was like, you, this would have been a great replacement for the Nazis, mm-hmm. if, you know, for the original movies. Have these guys following them. Why weren't they introduced earlier? Why wasn't this yeah. a continuing thing? And they come back, obviously, later in the movie and stuff like, like that. For, like, a minute and a half. Well, they at least come back. The county fair okay. was the next part. And this was where there's a monster truck show, and mm-hmm. you hear, like, a phone call with Marty Sline. He's like, oh, the blue gra- blue Bluegrass? No, these are the Blues. Oh, you want Blue? Yeah, these are the Bluegrass Brothers. Yeah. So, it's kind of like the Bob's Country Bunker scene. Yeah. You know, where that, you know, we're knowing that's going this. Okay, well, they're going to be... Yet another similarity that they're trying yeah. to capitalize on. I, I, the, the this weird, is the most ridiculous scene the, in the movie. The weird thing for me. about the the county fair one was like the the they're doing um, writers. So oh, yeah. the the song writers where it's like ghost writers on the storm and there's like a storm brewing behind them and I was like are they conjuring a storm it like, like it will look like the storm in um, when it forms at the end of Ghostbusters yeah, yeah I was so pumped we were getting Gozer the Gozerian in a cameo <laughs> in this one here um, but yeah ooh. they have like and like there was a giant storm that blew up around them and that's how the they were able to like escape again. Which, you know, good. But also, Joe Morton, I think it was the scene where they escape, and Joe Morton, frustrated, just goes, Elwood! Oh, and I yeah. was like, wow, that's an Alvin if I ever heard it. It, it did. Oh, gosh, yes. <laughs> no, that's, yeah, no, it absolutely was. Um, yeah, I mean, and that was possibly the most believable part about this scene was 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 uh, Joe Morton doing that. But yeah, but yeah, I mean, they, they they get out of there, they make their way to the Battle of the Bands gig. Uh, um, oh no, you skipped oh, over I, something. Oh yes, I you did. You skipped over one of my favorite people ever. Yeah, the hardest working man in show business, James Motherfucking Brown, mm-hmm. um, who was ancient as fuck the in this movie. The tent revival. Yes, very very awesome. It was interesting because they had the usual Baptist sort of praise band and and, and choir and that sort of thing that was in the original. And Sam Morris, Sam and Dave was the other reverend, which is so great. Yeah, Yeah, and John the Revelator. But it was a good song, but not the best song. And James Brown, God bless him, was trying his damn best. And this is also where Joe Morton is like... He, he, he catches up to them, and <laughs> and then we get him kind of doing the John Belushi scene of what we see yes. near the beginning of the original, where he has seen the light. Yes. So I really loved it to an extent because I loved seeing 
Joe Morton become a blues brother. Yeah. For some reason, it was really working for me at this oh point. Oh my god! Just seeing this build up, and like I said, this was my least hated version of John the Revelator. But it was a little weird when he floated up to the sky and converted. Like it was almost like he died and went to heaven, literally, as part of the scene. But Joe Morton's character, Cab Chamberlain keeps chanting invoke the calling of the blood yeah which i was like oh please tell me there's a witchy part of this scene here that we're we're getting to <laughs> um because he, he kept he kept chanting that with great guttural sound well and the other thing about james brown's performance in this because it seemed like it was overly controlled by other people and that's why it wasn't that great well, and, and and there's stuff I'll talk about a little bit in kind of our little trivia knowledge oh. section at the end, where we're, there was there was some stuff with the production company who who basically were at odds with John Landis and Dan Aykroyd when they were trying to make this movie that caused some interesting disruptions. Yeah. Um, but but and and I think part of that is is why the difference of how cameos worked in this one compared to the original was they're very subtle. You know, Ray Charles played a guy named Ray. But he just played a guy named Ray. Um, but he had a, he had a big part in one scene. And this movie is like they found as many musicians as they possibly could to get into this movie. Yeah. But they all had such small parts that you didn't feel like you really got all of them. Yeah. And that's one of the reasons I think I really love the, the Ed's the Ed's uh, exchange um, you know scene is because there was lots of Eddie Floyd and, and Wilson Pickett in that scene. Yeah. It just it, it felt great, but. Um, I do have a question. Yeah. I just looked down at my notes. Yeah. And Elwood is, like, talking to the band to try and pump them back up and everything. Oh, and he's like, Yeah, and he's, like, naming all these, like, traditional blues people and everything. And he says, Robert K. Weiss. And then someone says, who is Robert K. Weiss? Rob, who is Robert K. Weiss? Do you want to know who Robert K. Weiss is? Yes. Robert K. Weiss, and I'll, I'll pull this up because this is going to be in the trivia, but this is really important because there's there's a whole scene where he's literally spending two minutes listing all these amazing blues and jazz and R&B musicians yeah. throughout the years that inspired them and continue to inspire them about why they're doing this. So, yes, we do need to get to this gig and all that. And this is a long roundabout way to see. He's naming all these musicians. None of the ones he names are in the movie, by the way. He doesn't mention B.B. King, who's in the movie. He doesn't mention Taj Mahal. Ah. All of them are purposely left out, I assume. But the Robert K. Weiss, everyone kind of turns their head at that. Robert K. Weiss is one of the producers of this movie, Blues Brothers 2000. He was the one that convinced John Landis and Dan Aykroyd to meet up again with the production company to finish making this movie because they had all but abandoned the project to the point where John Landis went and filmed another movie what? in the amount of time because of how angry he was at how Holy the making this movie was. Now, I could not find too much information about what Aykroyd and Landis wanted to do with this movie versus what how it ended up, mm -hmm. but I wouldn't be shocked if, if a lot of the cameos that we had that came in, a lot of how the story flowed. I mean, there's no excuses to be made for how kind of, sorry, low energy and rushed and, and, mm. and, and weirdly like repetitive yet uninteresting a lot of these scenes were. I, I don't know what the productions company issue was, but Robert K. Weiss was the one who convinced them to come back. And my understanding is that this scene, last scenes that they filmed, and it was something that they worked into the script as kind of a way of thanking Robert Aww. K. Weiss for getting them back to the table of finishing the movie. Because as I understand it, they are ultimately fairly proud of it. And, you know, I think maybe they could be. Yeah. But that's who your Robert K. Weiss is. Okay. Yeah. Well, I'm glad I asked. But uh, but this is, yeah, we, we had that breakdown scene. We had our tent revival. Everyone, almost everybody's caught up with them at this point. So they've they've kind of they've gotten a little bit ahead, and they're, they've now arrived in New Orleans mm -hmm. for their audition to get to Battle of the Bands. Oh, uh, Erica Badu is the Queen Musette. Yes, but she was wonderful. You know who wasn't wonderful? Paul, Paul Schaefer. Schaefer. <laughs> what was that voice? A mixture between like a foppy like Frenchman it was a, it was and, a dandy, yeah. and an Igor. Like Oh, it was a bit oh, Igorish, yes. yes. You know, oh you're right, like, yeah. No, well I mean I was like, Paul, what are you doing, man? You're not an actor, dude. Like Well, he isn't, but he was he was an original member of the Blues Brothers band though. Yeah. He, he wasn't in the first movie. But th there was some casting issue. That's why Murph, Murph of the Magic Tones, mm. he was in the movie because it was because it was supposed to be Paul Schaefer. Paul Schaefer couldn't be in that movie. That's why they got Paul Schaefer in this one. Okay. So I mean, yeah, with this, I mean, and that takes us back to the, this audition scene here. 
Erica Badu's character, Queen Musette, asks them to play a Caribbean song. Yeah. She turns them, she turns Mighty Mac and Cab and Elwood Blues into zombies. Yeah. Green. Green zombies. Zombies, and they're like shuffling around like puppets, Frankenstein basically. Style. Yeah. Frankenstein. Um, yeah, that's a good uh, word for it. And the rest of the band are in like these white like tuxedos and they're like playing bongos and stuff. And and it's just, it's very odd. And But I did kind of like the funky Nassau song they played. uh, I will say I thought that was pretty good. And I like that Erica Badu was like in on it too. And Buster went 110% again. Again. Yeah. My boy. That kid could bring down the house just on his own. It was interesting. So, like, at the end of their performance, she doesn't unzombify Cab, Mac, and, and Elwood. She just kind of tells them, like, oh, yeah, you're in, and yeah. you're going to play tonight, you know, with the other band, who are the Louisiana Gator Boys. Yeah. The Louisiana Gator Boys are, you name a blues musician from the top, the, the, top, the last 80 years, they were on the screen. Yeah. Dr. John and B.B. King and Eric Clapton and Coco Taylor and... Gary U.S. Bonds and Lou Ross and Steve Winwood and yeah, I, I could keep going. There's about 29 people who are on stage. And it, obviously that turns out what Taj Mahal and B.B. And, and King's characters were going down south to do, but they performed a 10 minute long song? Yeah. At least? Yeah. You know what I was enjoying in mm. uh, the Voodoo Queen's Palace, though? Mm. Her cowboy army. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Like, they were awesome. Like, first of all, they ripped. Mm-hmm. Secondly, <laughs> they can dance, and they can wear the hell out of a pair of cowboy boots and a cowboy hat. Just gorgeous men in, like, blue denim cowboy outfits. And it, there was an army of them. They had guns. They had dogs. They guarded her. And I was just like, where can I get a cowboy army? Like, I would love a cowboy army just, like, around me at the grocery store. Like, so nobody comes within six feet of me. <laughs> <laughs> um, to, to your point at Cowboy Army, they had, they had some great dance moves. Mm-hmm. And that was something that I remember the scene of Shake Your Tail Feather from, from, the, uh, from Ray's Music Exchange in the first one. Some great dancing in there. And of course, it's built into the song, a lot to see, you know, like, you know, do the twist. Their dancing this was so great and it was so fluid, but, and I loved it. And I'm not saying but to, to, to downplay how well they were, do, they were performing, but the kid kept up with them buster in his little his little suit with the sunglasses and the hat he kept up with them he had like the same flow it was so good it was so impressive and when i was doing a little bit of research for this movie i was shocked to find out like nothing about this kid's background implied dance that's crazy yeah that is crazy yeah because he looked like he was was in ballet classes he was comfortable yeah he was comfortable he was moving well but yeah so I mean, they're they're in New Orleans here. They they each do their performances. I don't even know if I remember what that song was. I was just thinking, like it was that unimpressive. Yeah, what was that? That's how unimpactful it was. Funky Nassau should have been what they what they played, but but regardless, the the big part of this scene was really the Louisiana Gator Boys getting yeah. their jam on. They 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 you know it was like one of those things you always see with a live show is that one song where. Everybody's got like a five, ten second part where they're featured, yeah. you know, and we got kind of something like that. But because this is all going on, everybody who's been chasing them finally caught up with them. The Russians, the nuns who were with the FBI, they were yeah. like the FBI. We had the Confederate militia show up and all that stuff like that. And and the and, cops, and, yeah. and and like the first one where basically you just have the most hilarious SWAT team following them across the city into a building up up the stairs until they meet Steven Spielberg to get their to pay their fee. In this one, she just turns them, almost all of them, except the nuns, into rats. And then, uh, so the Louisiana Gator Boys win the Battle of the Bands. Yeah, they won. So, and yeah. it's like, how can they not? Because they're all the legends and everything. There were no stakes this entire time. There were no stakes. Last movie, there was an orphanage on the line. Yeah. And Curtis's job on the line. This movie, there were zero stakes. Um, one thing we jumped over, and, and, and maybe one of the last things that to, to talk about in this movie, is the car chase scenes from the first movie mm. were amazing. Um, they, they, were, they weren't obviously realistic, but they were relatively believable. You have some fun things where he jumps over the, 
the uh, the the bridge that's raising oh, up to yeah. let the boat through. Um, you know, there's the the leap off of the unfinished highway, where for some reason the highway is the height of the Sears Tower, and yeah. and the Nazis and their little you know National Lampoon vacation station wagon plummet down five thousand feet. A lot of the jumps and stuff like that. But when original Blues Brothers came out, it it broke the record for most cars wrecked in a movie. Yes. Which was a hundred and two? I forget. It was it was something it was around a hundred, maybe a little less or something like that. But so when this movie came out, they there's there's a car chase scene in here. There's a reason we skipped over it. Because it's it's not really a chase. It it is a little bit. It's more of they escape through a construction site and then for five minutes cars just keep rear ending each other. So... And it's literally one more car wrecked in this movie. Than the original. That it's so infuriating too because we didn't have it. It, no it didn't. Stakes. It didn't earn those it car did not, crashes. No, because when that was going on, when all those cars were like crashing into each other, I wrote down, "Oh shit, we forgot to crash a bunch of cars. Better make up for it." Yeah, no, that's what it felt like. It was. It, I mean, because it's not like this movie wasn't long enough as it was. It was over two hours long, so. But the fact that they felt this was something they needed to carry over, I don't know if this was like, I, I'm curious to know where this was added in or if this was originally part of the story because mm-hmm. it didn't feel necessary. You know, it was filmed very poorly. Yeah. Like all the cars that were jumping, there were clearly like three ramps off the right side of the screen where all the cars were being launched off of. You could clearly see no drivers in the cars being launched off or the what couple dozen sitting on the ground underneath them. Um, it, it, it didn't feel like it was actually a bunch of Illinois state troopers piling up in a, in a car chase, you know? Mm-hmm. Let me hear some awesome knowledge that you've collected there's nothing sexier than budget numbers oh as I yeah. Like to say. yeah i want to hear those and they're kind of mind-blowing so because there's actually a lot of similarities between money and other things of, of this one made in 1998 and the original 1980 so both of them are about two hours long there's there's two versions of the original there's a theatrical and a un whatever you want to call it a director's version that's got about 10 extra minutes in it but they both run just over two hours both of them had a budget of around 28 to 30 million dollars. Now 1980 dollars were a lot different than 1998 dollars. Yeah. So by that logic they technically had more money to do the first movie than they did the second movie. Yeah. And maybe that kind of comes into the play of whatever issues they're having with produ- with the the uh, the producers of of for Landis and Aykroyd to get this done. Um but they go different ways when it comes to how they performed in the box office. The original one, like I said, it had about a $28, $30 million budget. It made $115 million worldwide, which nothing... That's great worldwide to get that in 1980. Yeah. This movie didn't make its budget. It made $14 million worldwide in theaters. <gasps> and, oh. it, and they have not made up that you know $16 million difference in video, I guarantee it. Oh my god. Yeah, it, it, so... It didn't perform as well, and I mean, shocking. I, I will say that some of it may have to do with, you know, what scenes do you pull from this movie to make people interested? You know, I I, I don't I, I don't remember what the trailer for this was, but I guarantee you, it was just let's just fit quick shots of every celebrity cameo we possibly could. Mm-hmm. You know, um, let's find a five second snippet of a song familiar to people that was in the first movie. Um, you know, the movie poster, like I said, I mean, it confused me. I was like, we have just all these blues brothers, but, but yeah, it, so, but, but both movies, you know, they're, they're directed by John Landis, you know, Dan Aykroyd obviously was involved in both of them. You know, John Belushi was involved, John Belushi was involved in the first one. Um, Jim Belushi was supposed to be in this and I don't recall exactly what I, I hope it wasn't that canine movie. Maybe it was oh, that canine no. movie he did, but he, I think he had signed on to do that, and then this came up, and he had already was contractually obligated to do the canine movie. My understanding is that's why the cop car that they drove around was a canine unit car, Aww. because they wanted to find a way to kind of get him in the movie. But um, you know, uh, when, go ahead, yeah. I'm gonna say something that I don't think I will ever say again in my life. Yeah. But I feel like that if it was Jim Belushi instead of John Goodman, mm-hmm. it would have been a better movie. <laughs> 
You know, I th I think that I, it's a that's a great question because you know you always want to know about what other people were going to be in this role or offered this role, and I mean. A Aykroyd and, and Jim Belushi have performed as the Blues Brothers, mm -hmm. you know, whether it's, you know, before Planet Hollywood went under or just, you know, House of Blues shows, you know, they have performed together and, you know, with, with Paul Schaefer and the rest of the band. And, and so it, it wouldn't have, it, there would have been chemistry there. Um, I'm definitely curious if there would have been different songs. If I, you know, I don't know, is Jim Belushi's character more like John's? Is he the more manic one? You know, I, I don't really know what if they try to have if they've tried to reestablish that dynamic. But I mean, like I said, I, I love that Fox song that that looking for a Fox song that would kind of featured Mighty Mac, you know, John Goodman's character. I, I thought that was great, and I think it worked for Goodman in establishing him. It's like okay, I can buy him, you know, in the Blues Brothers band here. But I, I do really wish um, we could have gotten a chance to see what Jim Belushi would have done with something like yeah. this. It's one thing to do it as part of an SNL one-off SNL skit or, you know, one-off live performance at House of Blues, but to be able to see him actually do it in this context would have been great. Yeah, little comedy bits and, and that sort of mm -hmm. thing and just, yeah. But, yeah, I mean, it's, it's interesting. Um, you know, you know the, the kid I mentioned, you know, his name is uh, J. Evan Bonifant. Um, Wizards of Waverly Place is kind of where he seems to be known for. Hmm. Um, you know, which... I think it was. A, I was too old for that at that moment. Oh, then I was definitely too old. Yeah, for that. you were like, super old. <laughs> it, it, I, don't, I don't even know. If, yeah, that that definitely didn't act. But so, but you know, he was great in the movie. I love the kid in the movie. Being like I said, his background didn't seem to have much of it. But somebody whose background was well established and not leveraged in this movie was Joe Morton. Did you know that Joe Morton? He's been a singer. He's been singing since he was twelve years old. What? Yeah. Apparently he's in he's in what I like to call the Vigo Mortensen situation. So Vigo Mortensen, he acts. We all know him from Lord of the Rings and and um, Hidalgo. I don't know why that one came up. I think it's wow. my mother loves my mother wow. loves that movie. She's got a crush on Vigo Mortensen. That's a whole other podcast. Oh my god! No, you got no. Can we talk? Can we tell the story? We can we can briefly talk about this. Okay, yes. okay, Rob, please tell the story about the time your mom wanted to go meet Vigo Mortensen. My mom wanted to go meet Vigo Mortensen. So the Vigo Mortensen dynamic, as I'm, I'm referring to, is he is an actor. We know him for his acting, but it's actually not his passion. He acts to pay for his hobby. Well, which I would, which he would tell you is not a hobby, but his true career is as a photographer. So he had um, a gallery showing in Georgetown, outside of uh, just in D.C., and found out about it. And we decided that we were going to drive down and try to get into this gallery showing of his photography. You and your mom. And my sister, yeah. Oh, yeah. So, you know, we're like, okay, cool. You know, we were pumped for it, and my sister and I are getting ready. Like, yeah, we'll go and leave around five or whatever, stuff like that, head down. And, and my mom's taking a long time because she is up getting all dressed up and getting made up and wearing a nice skirt and a blouse, and she is getting made up. Oh, she want to get in with that she, air going. She, yeah, and, and, and I'll tell you, we drove all the way down to D.C., which, which where we lived at that point was about a little more than an hour ride. And we we got across the street from the gallery, and we got to briefly see him get out of a limo and walk in. And then, and this is you know kind of pre-internet days, so we didn't have the ability to look and see that it was invitation only, and there's not any way to get in there or get oh, across no. the street. And there's security preventing people from remotely approaching His Highness Vega Mortensen. So it was ultimately disappointing. But oh. uh, so that that's 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 my my mom trying to meet Vega Mortensen story. That's so cute. But uh, but yeah, so Joe Morton, he actually loves singing, and uh, I I found something about him that where he was talking about how he he loves singing. He's been doing it since he was twelve years old. He acts, but he he would prefer to be a singer. Hmm. And you know, we got a little bit of him in this movie in the tent revival scene. There's a little bit of him in the funky Nassau song, but. There was not enough Jim Morton singing in this no. movie. No, and like when I heard him singing, I was like, "Why isn't he singing more in this movie?" Yeah, and 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 you know, I think you know he he's he was you know one of his first movies that he's famous for, Brother from Another Planet. Um, he was you know the head of Skynet and Terminator Two, and I'm thinking of all these roles I've known him from. There's no singing in any of this, yeah. and and I mean at least Vigo. Well, it's not like he, you know he's got a movie. Not like Aragorn was a photographer and he was taking picture of the hobbits at the ring or whatever. Yeah. We didn't have, you know. But <laughs> it was just one of those things. I've not heard much about Jim Morton being a singer, and I feel like they really missed out on getting some from him in this movie. Yeah. Like if you search online, there's videos of him. You know, just he's put put up on YouTube of him playing guitar and singing along, and. 
Wow, talk about wasted opportunities. Yeah. So I was going to ask you, Yeah. on a scale of mild to wild, Oh boy, yeah. how does this fall for you? Well, so this number two, it was a number two. <laughs> Sorry. I, I, you know, this is definitely a mild one for me. Um, you know, I, I don't know, I don't know if I would say it was necessary. I don't think it was necessary. It definitely didn't need to be made, but I can understand something so culturally vital to a lot of people probably my age and a little older to to a lot of like comedians and and to find some way to reclaim the the power of the original movie i could see the the interest in pursuing that um i do think it fell short but i would say it can be if you in, if you love the first one and you can accept that this isn't going to be good to, to the extent that John Belushi's in it, I think it could be said to be enjoyable. There's there's enough of the of the original band similarity of the scenes. Like it it is slow. It is it is low energy. It definitely feels like they didn't rehearse a lot of things. Um, none of it. You know, if it was ad libbed, it was poor. Um, but but you know, to that extent, I, I would say check it out if you really love the first one and you can walk into this with a a. A softer approach. Hmm. What okay. about yeah? What I mean, what about you? What did you think? Was this number two and number one in your book? Probably not. Oh God, no! This is not not my favorite movie, and juxtaposed with the first one, which I love so dearly. Mm-hmm. Um, like it's really, really unnecessary. Like I was saying before, like the scene where he's talking to uh, the penguin um, about you know, what's missing. Yeah. It's like, take that as a hint as you're writing that in the script that it should go no further. I didn't think it was fun to watch. Mm-hmm. I was on the, seriously, on the couch, I was just like, kept checking my watch and I was just like, I gotta keep making notes and I almost picked up my phone and started like scrolling Facebook and I was like, no, I'll be a good podcaster person and just like (laughs) watch and take notes and stuff. And in terms of recommendations, I'm gonna say, do not watch this. Yeah. Yeah, do not watch this movie. The only reason I've watched it twice is literally both times for podcast purposes. So, um... I do not recommend it unless you want to to truly understand what we're talking about or other podcasts that might be doing it, you know. Um, or if you are feeling particularly masochistic. It's like if you feel like it is that bad. If you feel like you need to be punished for something and there's nobody around to spank you, just pop in Blues Brothers 2000. That's all I can say about it. Um so how can listeners see Blues Brothers 2000 if they want to see it? I mean, uh, right now you can get it if you have Amazon Prime. It's on there. Um, cool. But but most of the streaming services in terms of like digital movies like Redbox and Vudu and, and Fandango and all that, I know you can rent them. Um, I, I know it's not on Netflix or any of the little kind of unknown ones there, but it's it's available digitally in a lot of places, whether you need to pay to rent it or can watch it on free on Amazon Prime. So it is there if you want it. Thanks for listening to Deuces Are Mild. You can check us out on IG, Facebook, and Twitter as Deuces Are Mild. I'm Allie. And I'm Rob. And we'll be back soon with the next Deuce. This has been an Opus Knox Media production, produced by Ali Bachman and Rob Bachman, edited by Ali Bachman. Visit Opus Knox Media on Facebook for more upcoming projects. Mm-hmm.